Hi, I'm Margie, and you're listening to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island. I hope you're well and having a lovely week. My world at the moment seems to be revolving around pollen. <laughs> so shout out to any other hay fever buddies out there. Hopefully this won't last forever. I've got a really wonderful guest for you this week. Melissa is full of beans. Everything you've read about her being completely lovely is, I'm happy to report, 100% true. She made me tea, she fed me chocolate, and I fell in love with her beautiful home and more importantly, her dog. There are lots of delicious things in this one. You have been warned. Enjoy. My guest today is Melissa Hemsley. Melissa is described as a kitchen pioneer, and she is one half of Hemsley and Hemsley, the best-selling cookbook authors who had their own TV series on Channel 4, and they have their own cafe in London Selfridges. Melissa has released her first solo cookbook this year, Eat Happy, focusing on 30-minute feel-good food. She is also a proud supporter of lots of different charities, including the Prince's Trust and Cook for Syria. Marie Claire has described Melissa as the queen of the kitchen. Welcome, Melissa. Hello, Margie. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, I have to say there were dozens of quotes I could have picked instead of that one by Marie Claire. And they were all as nice as each other. But I quite like the phrase queen of the kitchen. That's one of my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I had to read it five times before I believed it. I really like it. <laughs> it's a goodie. Eat Happy is your first solo cookbook. And it's wonderful. It was published back in January. How are you feeling now you're out the other end of the book tour whirlwind. Oh, how am I feeling? Well, actually, I'm not I'm not out of the book tour yet. I'm about to embark on some summer festivals. Oh, great. But I know that you and I have been chatting all year about getting together. Yes. And so it's really struck me just being here with you now, come June, you know, it's summer now, how crazy it is to not have time. So one thing I've really learned in the last six months is if I ever get lucky enough to write another book, I'm really going to space things out a bit more because there were so many things I wanted to do these last six months that I didn't let myself do. Okay. Because I was like, I've, I've got to do this, this and this. And while I've loved every second of it, I really realized how time stopped in life. I really decided in my, you know, grand old age of 32 to really slow down and enjoy it more. Yeah. I mean, you've, you, you're a busy person. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know what? I've decided to stop using the word busy. Oh, okay. Um, I was like a badge this, of honor. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You and I have been reading the same articles. Yes. <laughs> I want to say I'm, I'm, I don't want to say anymore. I'm too busy and I don't want to say the words I'm too stressed anymore because I don't want to give those words the power. So yeah, just very happy to sit on the couch with you for an hour. So nice (laughs) sitting down. You grew up with parents from different sides of the world. Your mother is from the Philippines and your father was English. So I'm very excited to see what dish you pick for your first Desert Island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. Okay, so I struggled with this one. I want to tell you about two things. Okay. Okay, so my first sort of food memory is sitting in a nappy (laughs) on a carpet in a probably an yeah it would have been an army base um so probably quite a scratchy not particularly nice carpet um in a nappy and I remember sort of the tv being on and me sitting on the floor in front of the tv I can remember the feel of the carpet against my my legs 
And I remember my mum, she she sort of boiled, you know, sort of not boiled to death, but boiled some <laughs> prawns and she peeled them off. They'd gone cold and then she dipped them in vinegar and was feeding them to me in my mouth like I was a little bird. <laughs> and I can just remember that taste. And I remember being very old by the time my mum, I was like, mum, can you keep on feeding me from your ma- from your from your hands to my mouth? And also, as I'm just remembering, I remember being very old and making Jasmine, who you obviously know, sleep in bed with me and tell me stories all night. Oh, I was like a real a clinger. Proper clinger. younger sister. Yeah, a clinger, I would say. Um, so that's, that's an amazing memory. early memory. Yeah, and I think the vinegar really ties in because... Filipino food. Have you ever had Filipino food? I th- yes. Sour. It's sour. There's yeah. a lot of tamarind and, and vinegar. I guess that's why the, the prawns got dipped in the vinegar. And I think that also sums mum up because she's very much a, you know, would you like a snack? You know, There's a, there was always something to eat and she, unusual. Is she a feeder? She's a feeder. So it wasn't like crisps and hummus. It was like vinegar, uh, you know, prawns dipped in vinegar. <laughs> that's my first food memory. But I would say the dish that really sums up my childhood would be anything Filipino. But then growing up, I didn't know it was Filipino. I thought it was just mum's cooking. So maybe something like a chicken tenola. So funny. Remember I told you my mum just went out to buy chicken? Yes. um, Because she wanted to make some chicken for the dog. But she's also said, oh, while I'm cooking chicken for the dog, she said, should I make you chicken tenola? (gasps) And that's like tons of ginger, tons of garlic, chicken, carrots cabbage and broth and you and I were just saying about hay fever right I was like and then lemon juice to finish off so I was like I want ginger I want lemon feel quite congested yeah it's exactly what you want anytime you need it's the most delicious dish and and actually of uh, you know Jazz and I've done four cookbooks between us I swear if we were to ask any of our followers what their favorite dish is they'd probably say that really which was in the first so you spent a fair amount of your childhood in army bases because of your dad's job and you moved around a lot what kind of influence did that have on the kind of food that you were eating well I guess a wide influence because maybe because that was in the army and mom was Filipino I'm pretty sure yes but we, they were very adventurous and open and loved new cultures and loved everything. So actually my dad spent a lot of time in Kazakhstan, Georgia, Russia. Oh, wow. We never went to those places with him and I've actually never been Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, but he would always bring back cookbooks or, uh, you know, an ingredient from that place and try and tell us, my dad could not cook. So he would try and tell us what he'd eaten but he would you know was he more of an eater than he, a cook? oh god he's yeah. no he was a food critic <laughs> let me tell you, but he couldn't cook so I think it made us very open we also spent time in Germany so I fell in love with cabbage sauerkraut sausages and pickles and and you know sour there as well so yeah a big influence but I also remember being in army bases and you know kids are running in, in and out of each other's homes all the time there's no dads around it was a lovely place to grow up, you know, a lot it's of sort kids. It's sort of like almost like a commune. It's like of, a commune. Yeah. It really is. Except there's, you know, people with yeah. guns yeah. <laughs> everywhere. And you had to check under <laughs> the your, opposite of a commune. You had to check under your car before oh you got goodness. in the car. Yeah. I remember other kids, you know, running into the houses. They would have hot dogs and fish fingers for dinner. And I would just beg my mum, mum, please, can we have these foods? <laughs> I remember for, for, for my, like, my birthday or Christmas, my question to my mum would be, please, can I have Cocoa Pop? <laughs> please that would be my present heart broke a little bit (laughs) but you know what when I did leave home I definitely and started earning money I definitely went through a stage where I was like I want to eat Pringles sour cream and onion forever I mean that is part of the fun of being a grown-up isn't it no one can tell you what you can eat yeah (laughs) 
The second desert island dish is the first dish you learned to cook. Oh, <clears throat> well, I again can't really remember. Do a lot of people say this? Yeah, it's hard they to do this, it's hard to pinpoint. Um, I have a feeling one of them was this lady called Stephanie. She is my sister's school friend and she's Italian. And she taught me how to make uh, an Italian tomato sauce. What was Stephanie's secret? Slow cooking. That was slow cooking. I just, I just remember her showing me that. I think that was probably the first thing I learned to cook. Maybe another one would probably have been something like scrambled eggs. Yeah. I mean, I really didn't cook growing up at all, but I remember my first boyfriend, he had a sort of housekeeper. Okay. Um, <laughs> this lovely lady that helped his mum out because um, she needed help. And she taught me, she was Portuguese, she taught me how to cook scrambled eggs. And she cooked it in a saucepan, very, very slow. Yeah. Very, very slow. Lots of butter. I'd always thought scrambled eggs was like the quick fix. Yeah. So, so she taught me that. And also, I don't think she taught me this, but I always crack my eggs straight into the pan now. I don't bother whisking oh, do them you? first. Yeah. Maybe right. someone else taught me that. Okay. Well, yeah. just to save on washing up. Save on washing up. And also, if you if you scrap, if you you scrap stir them and then you get a bit of yolk that doesn't quite incorporate and then yeah. that bit makes it extra creamy right at the last minute. Oh, I love that. What but a- also to save on washing up because that's, that's a- the, my whole philosophy. Oh my God. <laughs> washing up is the bane of my life. You say of your career that you never expected to get into food and actually always thought you were going to be a doctor. When did you decide that maybe going into medicine wasn't for you? So funny. I was at the doctor this morning and I told, poor doctor probably didn't care, but I was like, oh, I, <laughs> I swear every time I meet a doctor, I was like, I, I wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> they must get that a lot. I, it was when I did all my science A-levels, I decided I think about age eight, I wanted to be a doctor. I was just very inspired by doctors around me, TV shows, the fact that a doctor could mean so much to you. And I remember that my mum from the Philippines, she would say, you know, every family would love a doctor in the family because, you know, you want to be taken care of. I got to about 17 and I remember doing some work experience and I did one week in a a pediatric unit in Chelsea and one in a a pathology department. And I started to quickly realize I didn't like blood. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And I was way too sensitive. Yeah. It's full on. I just couldn't shake things off. Mm. I couldn't shake off. No one died around me. I was only doing work experience, but I couldn't shake off the, um, the level of, of, the stuff that you see and and that happens. And I quickly decided it wasn't for me. However, I really love my job because I feel that cooking for people, you probably agree, right? Yeah. Has that impact of nourishing people, taking care of them. And it can be so simple, us making a plate of food for someone, but it can mean, it can really brighten someone's day. It can really make them feel better. We know that food can make us feel better too. So I I feel like I'm definitely I love that that idea that you have kind of come full circle and it's not really far removed from what you wanted yeah. to do. It makes Having so said much that, sense. If I have kids, I'm definitely gonna be pushing one of yeah. them to be a doctor. <laughs> Always handy to have a doctor in the family. Yeah. <laughs> and my cousin's a lawyer, so I've got that covered. The apple does not fall far <laughs> from the tree. So tell us a little bit behind the scenes of when Hemsley and Hemsley got started, because from the outside, it just seemed to happen so quickly and you've had such enormous success. Is it true it all began with a certain pop star? 
Yes, it, it did. Oh, so it's such a long story. And it's funny you say that it feels like it happened overnight because it certainly didn't feel like it. However, when you look back, you know, it's been about eight years now that Jazz and I started. In the scheme of things, it is. it did happen very quickly. But you know, when you're running your own business, how every week is 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 a is a big old adventure. Yeah, um, and you can have many many highs and many lows. And I've worked in offices too, so I know the same goes there. But and and there's so much behind the scenes in the build up to an overnight success. It's not yeah. like it just sort of instantly wasn't it happens. funny? You know, walking around just now, you could see like my table of admin and receipts and all of these things that you have no idea comes with. Yeah, and you know, I speak to a lot of people, and they all. We always chat about, you know, how, how much do you outsource and how much do you try and learn yourself? Because there's only so many people when you work for yourself that you can afford to bring on with their expertise. And of course, sometimes you've got to have people that really know, but it is and has been a struggle. Yeah. And um, a steep learning curve. Steep but, learning curve. Still mess up all the time. <laughs> I don't believe that. Yes. But you and Jasmine, you were doing very different jobs. Very different jobs. You weren't in the world no. of foods. How, how did you make that leap? Well, weirdly, I was kind of in the world of food, but not cooking. So I worked for a group of pubs and bars and restaurants. And one of the chefs there, who's called Tim Payne, he ran the more restauranty of the venues in the group. And he's ex-Marco Pierre White. And he's an amazing, amazing person. Really scary if you get on the wrong side oh, really? of him. But now we're friends. But <laughs> the reason I could get on the wrong side of him is because one of my jobs was to, um, I was in charge of, there was a team of us, I was in charge of a team of us who basically filled the venue with weddings, births, marriages and deaths, we used to okay. call it. Weddings, wakes. We had um, this beautiful venue by a big famous cemetery in Kensal Green and we used to get a lot of events. So I was the point person to organize what people would eat. One of the reasons I fell into food via him was because he would come to work at, say, 11 o'clock because he would work all night. And I would receive his deliveries in the morning at, say, seven or eight. And, you know, I remember when he said to me, one day he bounced in and he was like, the asparagus is coming. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, the asparagus is coming. I was like, from where? He was like, it's coming in, into season. <laughs> and I had, had no concept. <laughs> like like a Game of Thrones. Literally, it's coming. <laughs> it's, com- it's rearing over the hill now. I had no concept at that age, and that was probably early 20s, about seasons and seasonal food. I didn't, no one was talking about it then. No one, certainly to me, restaurants weren't saying it. So he definitely started teaching me about the importance of asparagus or, you know, he would, he would, I'd hear him call up his suppliers. He'd call up his suppliers, you know, every single day and place his order. And he knew everybody by heart. They'd have a lovely chat and that whole concept of knowing and caring about the people you work with and, he would change his menu based on what they were saying. Yeah, yeah, so, and using using what's available. Yes. So I must have picked up so much from him. I know I picked up so much from him, and that was just seeping into me. And so Jazz was modelling. I was doing that. And long, long, long story short, we ended up cooking for people. And one of them was a pop star in a band, and then the whole band got involved. And fr- right from the start, our whole thing was we're sisters who cook food that we eat at home we'll cook for you as if you're our brother or our sister. We'll cook you very simple stews and soups and broths, lots of amazing curries full of spices. We were making, you know, banana breads with flaxseed, all of these things, chicken liver pate. Everyone's like, oh, is chicken liver pate good for you? And we were like, 
yeah. our whole life. It has butter in it. So yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> our whole life, our mom was feeding us livers. And I remember actually growing up, people thought that was really weird, but you know, different cultures now. Yeah. You, um, you, I was it's also a very frugal way of um, eating meat, exactly. isn't it? And I, I did a talk at this weekend at Balham Literary Festival and this lady came up to me and she's Egyptian and she told me, I was saying, oh my God, I've, I don't think I've had much Egyptian food. And she, I said, what's your favorite thing that you um, love to eat? And she said, well, when I go to my dad's, he makes me a liver um, a liver sandwich. And it's like the simplest thing in the world. And she said, it's the most delicious thing in the actually, world. Actually, imagine that is my first impulse when you said that was to gulp. But actually, probably fried in butter uh, yeah, on bread. Yeah, my mouth's watering. Yeah, no, I bet that is delicious. Can you hear my mouth? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> but that's so interesting, isn't it? Because obviously not always some, you know, some things take time and it doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. But interesting that you just started doing what you were interested in and it, it just snowballed from there. I think it snowballed because... You know, I grew up watching Ready, Steady, Cook. Oh, I grew, I love Saturday Kitchen. I love Jamie Oliver. Um, I think that, you know, Jamie's a great example, so is Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, of people that have been banging the drum about eating more vegetables and sourcing food appropriately on mainstream TV for a long time. They've been amazing. Um, we, no one was really, to my eyes, talking about healthy food. You were either eating healthy food that was low-fat, low fat food or maybe, you know, chicken breasts without skin on, or you were eating everything else. Yeah. And we were saying, yeah, but there's good things in chicken skin. We were saying to eat healthy food, you don't have to compromise on taste. Yeah. It, it wasn't about deprivation. It was never, that about, was exciting. It, it was never about deprivation. So the pop stars, the bands, the clients that we worked for, for about two years nonstop, before we even had a name, they used to call us food fairies. We weren't Hemsley and Hemsley then, we were Jazz and Mel, food fairies. Um, the food fairies, food fairies I love that. We'd go to the house, cook up a storm, make such a mess, obviously without them looking. Then we'd clear it all up and then we'd put it into the fridge with notes of, you know, eat this today, warm this up like this. This has gone in the freezer for a rainy day. Um, share this with, you know, take this on tour with you. But what they wanted from us is they wanted to go on tour. They wanted so much energy. They wanted to feel really, really good. Um, and that's what everybody wants. Everybody yeah. wants to feel that. So in a way, healthy food, I feel like sometimes if you say the word healthy, people automatically give up on it. Yeah, they um, think it's boring. They think it's, it's boring. I think it's different as well now, eight years on. Lots and lots of people are talking about healthy food. Lots of people are talking about the way that food affects the way we feel. But it, it was definitely a struggle back then. But our big break came from all of our friends and family saying, can we have recipes written down? Our clients would say, can you write down recipes so I can share it with my mum, my wife? Well, we were cooking for the wives, my mum, my wife's friend, all of this thing. And we didn't write down recipes. So we started writing them down. Everyone said, put a, you know, make a blog. And I was like, I don't know how to make a blog. And I remember Googling how <laughs> to use that for blog. Um, Good old Google. Went with a word, no, went with a Tumblr. It was like WordPress or Tumblr. I was like, I don't know. Tumblr. Set it up. Obviously, nobody read it. And then I just went, I said to Jazz, we need to find somebody to partner with because who's <gasps> going to read you, our blog? And then you got your vocal. And then somebody said to me, send it out into the universe. Who would be your dream person? And I said, well, you know, I was a Vogue reader at the time. Oh, still am, obviously. But, you know, I was like, well, Vogue, I think, Vogue. And Vogue was one of the only magazines that had online at that point eight years ago. So uh, we harassed everybody we knew and said, do you know anyone at Vogue? Do you know anyone at Vogue? And through people, through people, through people, through people, it happened. It's, that's amazing. 
we're going to have to talk about the third desert island dish, even though I could keep on talking about <laughs> this forever. The third desert island dish. What is the best dish you've ever eaten? Oh, I just really, I, I feel really just sad picking things. I would probably say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say two things. I'm very generous. So you okay. can. <laughs> um, I'm going to say one thing. I think the best thing I've ever eaten because of where it was, who was making it and the story behind it, maybe is a Cambodian fish amok curry. Ooh. And I went to Cambodia about four years ago and was made a fish amok curry by a gentleman who, oh my God, I can't remember his name. And I love him. I'll remember his name in a minute. It'll come back to me. Okay. At a beautiful, beautiful place, an ecological hotel resort called um, Songsa. And he had been making fish and curry since he was basically four. So he'd grown up with his mum making it, you know, at three in the morning, grinding the paste of turmeric and onions and garlic. She would go and sell it on the uh, street as uh, street food. So he was given the job as soon as he was wow. four, pounding it all together. And it's absolutely delicious. It's quite delicate. It's not like a big overpowering curry. So he was making that, telling the story. And just, it reminds me of Cambodia. It's just a, it's just a curry I love. Oh, and it's bright yellow answer. and glorious. Beautiful. That's one of the things I love. Oh, any yeah. seafood in Greece is probably the best. Yeah. Best. That sounds amazing. What an, um, a brilliant answer, Melissa. <laughs> two. Thanks for squeezing two. Let's talk about the TV series because that's something that really not many people can say they've done. It's amazing. Talk us through the process of getting that a little bit. Was it you came up with the idea and then you were pitching it or no, did it come to you? No. Well, actually, we were working. We were sort of making noises that we were interested because we thought, you know, how are we going to get out to more people? And And again, this was five years ago now, maybe five or four years ago, and nobody was interested. Everyone was interested. They were like, I don't think the great British public are interested. That's what people kept saying to us. And we were like, but I think they are. Um, And we were just turned down. You know, it's hard to get a TV show made. Really hard. And then when we sort of went, okay, now's not the time. Because we've always been, Jazz and I, very much like, go with your gut, give something, go. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And, you know, timing's everything. And then all of a sudden, get an email and it's an Australian TV company and they just say, we really like what you're doing. We want to make your show. So they were like, oh my God, we're going to Australia, mom. We're going to Australia. No, I oh. wanted us to film it <laughs> in in England in about three seconds. <gasps> yeah, because yeah. it was quite a quick turnaround, oh my wasn't God. It? It, was, it? was. I think we shot 10 episodes in 10 days. <gasps> and five of those days were on location and it poured with rain the entire time. Brilliant. So <laughs> I remember sitting in a, in a truck in a quinoa field and it was just so soaking and sodden but it was stunning and then the sun came up and the quinoa was sort of golden it was beautiful a quinoa field in Essex oh my goodness who knew yeah fair king quinoa amazing father and father and son growing quinoa that's incredible yeah I mean yeah what a cool cool thing to have done that's what I like and and really I wish the tv show had shown off more of that it was meeting the suppliers so yeah I love I love that we did five days of meeting the suppliers and five days of being in a studio and I think more of the yeah well more of the studio got into the actual studio content got into the show but I wish it was more of the suppliers so went to a biodynamic apple farm and or egg farm and I remember reading an article someone sent it to me going um, biodynamic 
even organic's not good enough for these oh. two. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> I like what you say there about, you know, you, you've got to try these things. And the worst that can happen is someone says, no, we don't want to make that TV show, but you've got to, you've got to put it out there and see what happens. Haven't yeah. You? I think there's a lesson in that. I think, I think TV though is pretty, pretty scary. I mean, every time I go on live TV, my, I don't sleep the night before. No, I Sometimes can't imagine anything scarier. If I hear the Saturday Kitchen theme tune music, my heart pounds. You could put it on now and you could measure my, my heart. <laughs> but yeah, t- I, I really respect you, people that go on TV. You seem very natural on live TV. I wouldn't Do you know. Think? That yeah. Oh no. I'd sort of, I bet I'd forget how to talk. I, yeah, I get super scared. Yeah. And then the adrenaline for the next oh, sort of yeah. 24 hours is just mental. Yeah, you can get a lot done. No, I don't. I sort of <laughs> sit there shaking. It's a crash. <laughs> yeah, I get a crash. The fourth desert island dish. What is your favorite sandwich? Right. So I was talking to my boyfriend about this. I think, oh, I'm really boring. I think like an egg mayo. That is not boring at all. That's boring. No, I think that's a great um, choice. I love an egg mayo. I'm just going to tell you all the ones I love now. I can't pick. I love an egg mayo. I do, but I tell you what I love. I love going to New York and having... um you know, the Reuben, yeah. where, wherever it come, may be. That is a popular option. Is it? Yeah. Does that come up a lot? Yeah. Does it? Yeah. And, and it's nothing, it's not something I've ever made myself. It'll be when in New York. Is the egg mayo something that you would make at home? Yeah. And it, I would never yeah. go and, no, because I, I feel like it's so simple. I could yeah. get an egg mayo <laughs> I here. I would never do I that. I would never do that. If, if, would Melissa Hemsley buy a sandwich on the go? I can't remember the last time I bought a sandwich on the go. But I would, if in a pickle. I'm actually going on a lot of trains and later in the week and I may end up buying a sandwich. However, I think I probably won't because there's so many other yeah, options, there are. isn't it? Yeah, there are. I just don't feel great after a sandwich. I'll tell you, and I'll tell you what I object to, the level of deep filling or the lack of deep filling. Why are sandwiches so... Measly. So measly yeah. and not, not filled. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know. Let's start a petition. I'll tell you what I really do fancy that I haven't had. And um, if someone could tell me who does the best... I bet they don't do them. I really fancy sitting outside with some lemonade and having a cucumber sandwich. Oh, you're so right. That isn't something you can buy. No, but it, it has to be... Yeah, crustless. Sort of crustless. Well, I, no, I love crust though. Even on a I'll cucumber sandwich. Well, I haven't had a cucumber sandwich for so long, but well, I'd like lemonade and I'd like it really thickly buttered oh, yes. cucumber. Yeah, it's basically a butter and cucumber it's sandwich, a butter isn't cucumber it? Sandwich. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's probably my favorite sandwich, but I haven't had one of those in years. I might make one this weekend. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk a bit about the cafe in Selfridges because what an incredible thing. Setting up a cafe is is huge. Getting a TV show is massive. Writing books, the whole business. It's so impressive. And obviously such an enormous amount of work has gone into all of those things. What has been the biggest challenge of all of that? And, and is there anything along the way that you would have done differently? Yes. Well, the cafe, our lovely, lovely cafe, third floor of Selfridges, I'm going there tonight. That is, it, it was two years in April, two years old in April. And lots of people were like, oh, I thought it was going to be a pop-up. And at first I was thinking, gosh, do you not believe in us? Or do you not believe in, you know, good food, you know, coming through? But then I realized, because people were like, it is a really big deal. And it, then it really hit me. This is quite a big deal. It's a big undertaking. It's a big undertaking. It could really go wrong. And, you know, working in food, you know, a lot of people, you're only as good as your last meal, right? So there is that stress and expectation of it's open seven days a week. It's open Selfridges store opening hours. So in the summer, it's open till like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. However, 
it's a dream because we have the most amazing team. So when, again, Jazz and I floated the idea between us, you know, shall we open our own cafe? We quickly said no, because we don't have the skill set. And we've been really good, I think, along the way of saying, what are we good at and what are we not good at? Yeah. Jazz and I are very good at knowing what we're good at, what we're not good at. And Selfridges came to us. What happened was Selfridges were very supportive of our books and our spiralizer. And we used to do quite a lot of demos in store and it was a good laugh. And, you know, I love the staff that work at Selfridges. They would get really involved and they would say to us, you know, we've been eating, since we've heard you banging on and on at your demos, we <laughs> bring our food in to, to work as well. And Selfridges just said, have you ever thought about doing a cafe? Now, Selfridges are amazing because not only are they the first store to have banned plastic bottles and plastic um, bag ages, mm. ago, right? Ages ago. They also have a head of sustainability, Alana Weston, one of the second from the top, um, her parents own Selfridges. She is super keen on sustainability. They've got projects called Project Ocean. So what we really loved was we knew if we teamed up with Selfridges, they would give as much of a, you know, monkeys about sustainability and provenance as we would. Because there's always that thing when you go into partnership, will you, will you fulfill your side of the business? So we we just 100% trusted them and they trusted us to come up with the recipes, design it, be in charge of all the creative creativity, you know, promote it everywhere we travel with our book and TV, come to our cafe, try the food. And their job is to to make it happen and do the logistics. And we have the most beautiful hearted team. Eleanor, our manager, has been there since, well, I was going to say, day dot actually before it because we had eight months of the cafe being built before so tons of staff training lots and lots of recipe do do you think the cafe has been the biggest challenge of Hemsley and Hemsley so far oh do I think it's been the biggest challenge no I think the biggest challenge is being to be really honest with yourself about what you can do that for me is a big challenge because yeah I want it's it's like a long-term challenge I would say it's definitely the the nice thing about the cafe is we had a long time to prepare for it as I say because it was being built the the floor that it's on was being built so we had time to prepare for that but no I think the biggest challenge is going it keeps coming up actually in our questions doesn't it and our answers in our chat is when to let things go when to pursue things how not to lose your confidence when things don't always go to plan. And when I chat to other people in either the food industry or anyone running their own business, is, is that is like constantly showing up, you know, licking your wounds when something's not completely great. But also I think managing, wailing, um, managing your energy. We were just talking, weren't we, about, you know, I've really learned, I'm a big fan of like looking back and reflecting and seeing, do you feel like that? Yeah, it's so, it's so important. You can't just... Yeah. You can't only look forward. Yeah. You have to reflect a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of what we've achieved in the last eight years. And, you know, now Jazz and I have got Hemsley and Hemsley together. She's got Jazz and Hemsley. I've got Melissa Hemsley. Sounds so weird when we talk about our own businesses, our names. But, you know, we have between yeah, you, us three you businesses. You guys have done so much. And, you know, it's been, if anything, I would have looked back and said to myself, take it slower. Just for your own enjoyment. Like, take more holidays. Enjoy it a bit more. Um, I think take ho- take more holidays as a good life mantra. Yeah, <laughs> take 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 uh, take more holidays, and not just holidays for the sake of just lying on a beach. Just it it, it feeds everything you yeah, do, doesn't definitely. it? Especially with food, it's yeah. really important, isn't it? Such a food big part and, and of inspiration. Also, you know, okay, so I'll tell you one thing. This year, I said to myself, 
you know, I absolutely love New York. And also New York is so good for me to go and do some research and, and, and eat Reuben and, and, sandwiches. And, and sandwiches. I didn't on this trip, sadly. <laughs> but I said to myself, I don't have time to go because I was in and out of the country so much. And my boyfriend just said, you love New York, go. And I went for six days. I had about 10 meetings a day. I combined meetings with meals that I wanted to go to. And I had a blast and I was shattered but I really did it for me. And I've, I felt amazing afterwards. Like, you know, the energy in New York, the energy, yeah. I love American energy. Go, you know, do it. Why not? Sorry, <laughs> any American. The worst American accent ever. Terrible accent. But I love, I love their, you know, gung-ho attitude. Yeah, we could all learn something from them. The fifth desert island dish. What is the dish you eat the most often? The dish I probably eat the most often is, I would say... May I have two options again? You may. You may. Roast chicken. Yes. I want to have two options. I feel like it's quite a boring one. It's boring, but safe. But that is probably what I do. Um, And roast chicken and all the chicken leftovers. Yeah. So maybe I'll just talk about that. So what I probably eat most often (laughs) is I'll probably have a chicken once a week and I'll obviously have it crispy chicken skin. My my mum, you know, we were looking at my plants. Yeah. My mum gave me a sage plant. (gasps) So chicken and sage together is obviously beautiful. I've just been stuffing it with chicken stuffing it chicken <laughs> chicken stuff with chicken chicken stuff with sage and garlic and lemon so then I have that as my roast and then the next day I will probably make some sort of stir fry with the shredded chicken and then I'll put on a broth and then I'll have like a chicken noodle soup yes so I long for it being the big you know like I really like it because you know you have your chicken say on a Saturday or Sunday and then real life starts it's the weekend working week I mean I work most weekends anyway but I, I long for using up the chicken leftovers yeah because I'm a big leftover fan anyway. And it's very comforting to know that that's in the fridge ready to go. Exactly. You've grown such an amazing following. And I think it's amazing to see how passionate you are about the various charities you support. You've been a key part of the Cook for Syria campaign. For anyone who hasn't heard of it yet, can you just tell us a little bit about it? Because essentially... At its core, it's the supper club that became a global movement. Yes, that's it. So it was the supper club that Clark and Boy and Serena of Suitcase Magazine said, how can we raise money for some kids in Syria? And they put on a supper club. They asked all the top chefs in London. Everybody said yes. There wasn't enough room for all these top chefs. That's amazing. I know, isn't it great? They said, what else can we do? So from that spawned um, November 2000. 16 tons of restaurants all over the UK put a Syrian inspired dish on the menu and gave two pounds from every dish to the the fund then there's been an, a cook for Syria cookbook which came out in December 2017 and quickly became the best one of the best selling books of the year yeah. just in one month I mean the figures are amazing it's over 550,000 pounds raised yes. to over 200 supper clubs which is amazing yep. isn't it all over the world and 25,000 books sold yep and now the bake for Syria book's coming so check it out yes when is you that sh- coming should- so um I I like everyone just said what can I do to help my first job was sorting out goodie bags for the supper club that's a very important role. it is a good job isn't it because we wanted to get some Syrian inspired produce in there um and what I think is also amazing about cook for Syria is not only doing the very important work of raising as much money as possible but also to keep Syrian food in people's faces so one of the chefs that we work with says one of the he's he's 
he was a restaurateur in Damascus, fled here with his family. He says, I want my kids to grow up here. I'm so happy they're here, but I want them to see Syrian food. Yeah. And I want people to know about Syrian food and Syrian culture and how incredible it is. So important. Um, so he's taught me a lot. I've been, I've been cooking a lot from his, his style of cooking. Oh. And I made him a quinoa taboule, not particularly Syrian, not particularly Syrian with quinoa. And he asked me for the recipe. <gasps> I was oh. very pleased. Yeah, the biggest compliment you know. could get. He was just being nice. On the subject of supper clubs, that brings us nicely onto the next desert island dish. That's the sixth desert island dish, and it's your go-to dinner party dish. One of the things I've been making tons at the moment, I would say less dinner party, more barbecue-y, yeah. summer dinner yeah. party vibes. I've been making loads of watermelon salads. Ooh. And I was someone that didn't like fruit with my savouries growing yeah. up. Yeah, okay, talk us through this. Um so my watermelon salad is, I mean, everyone knows watermelon salad, but like everyone that likes watermelon will probably like a watermelon salad. But I've got one which is watermelon grilled avocado. You throw that mm. on the barbecue. That's a key component. Have you ever cooked avocado? I've baked it, but I haven't Have barbecued it. Oh, that would be delicious it. too. So actually, I, I like the I, idea of grilling it. The grilling, and it looks gorgeous yeah. as well. Um, but uh, I did um, an event with my friend, in Bristol and she didn't have a grill and we had that on the rest on uh, to do for that night. And I was like, Oh dear. She went, let's just fry it. Um, Romy girl. And I, and I went, Oh, I don't know if it will be as, you know, be as good. And she was like, trust me. And of course I should have trusted her. She's the best chef ever. (laughs) And she started frying the avocado and it was divine. So you have your watermelon, your avocado feta. Um, you can put some cherry tomatoes in there and then you make an, a tapenade dressing out of black olives. Ooh. Oh, I like the sound of that. And then fresh mint or fresh basil and everyone goes nuts. That sounds delicious. So I think that's going to be on a lot of people's barbecue menu yeah, this but summer. But then you can build on it as well. So it can be a main meal. So obviously if you're going to grill the avocado anyway, grill some prawns to put on it or shred some chicken into it. But it is amazing. And honestly, for anyone you think doesn't that doesn't like fruits with their savory, it's beautiful. Yeah, I like the sound of that. I, I probably made that we, 20 times. We need the sun to come back out and then... How great is yeah. it today? I know. It was, it's freezing. I'm wearing a jumper. The book eat happy. Let's talk a little bit about it. It's so beautiful. And I love the story of the cover photo. Yeah. It wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be. I, I, we were on holiday in Mexico. I just sort of hand, I just sort of, what had I done? I'd written most of the book at that point, went on holiday to Mexico for about 10 days, had a fantastic time, got bitten by a caterpillar. Oh, I'll tell you that story another time. (laughs) Thought, thought I was going to die. Oh God. Um, don't don't get anywhere near caterpillars. Don't, don't underestimate the caterpillar. I know. Well, the thing is, I was trying to be all Dave Natterborough and I was sort of up in its face watching it and then it fell and landed on me. And yeah, and then my arm just went dead and we had to go to Yeah, it was awful. But none of that is evident in this beautiful photo. Oh yeah, so then five days later, <laughs> so five days after that, nearing the end of the holiday, I went to this place called Koki Koki near Tulum in Mexico. So we'd been told everyone in Tulum's like, go there, go there. Everyone in Mexico says, go there, go there. So we went there and nobody, nobody was around. All the guests must have been out on expeditions. And we were the only guests. And the chef said, you know, the waiter said, come see the chef and tell him what you want to eat, which was basically, I'm going to tell you what you're going to eat, which yeah. is my favorite type of eating. Yeah, the best. And we went into his kitchen and there was this big basket of gorgeous fruit and I was like, oh, let's take a picture. So we did. And it became the front cover of the book. And you just look so 
fresh-faced and happy and I it just it, it sums up the book really doesn't it yeah well I think I'd had two gin and tonics oh. <laughs> I was waiting for lunch I had you know probably nine days of sun and nothing else I was very happy that day but what's funny is it was on my Instagram and my publisher said you know we need a draft cover we really like this picture and they must have scrolled quite far to find it and I went do you really like that you know, I'm wearing, I just, I just didn't think it was a front cover. I'd, I'd not be such a lovely picture. To it. And they convinced me and actually a couple of journalists that I know, one of them, Pitt McCormack, he said to me, tell me that's your real cover. And I was like, no, it's not going to be my real cover. And he's like, I just love it. You have to have that as your cover. So everyone convinced me and I went, really? Is that really a cover for a book? Because it but doesn't, it is. I felt like, is it foodie enough? And I just thought, no, it actually, now I look back at it and I think I was so happy that day food, you know, food and making time to sit and eat a meal. That's what it's all about. And I know if you're listening to this, we don't always get to do it. I don't usually look that happy when I'm eating a meal (laughs) because that's not real life. However, the more time, the less time I spend cooking and and washing up and the more time I spend sitting down to eat, that's when I really get satisfaction from a meal. That's your happy place. That's my happy place. And it really is about the home cook, isn't it? And and people who don't have a lot of time, but it's it's so clever, like full of lots of tips for using up what you've got and not stressing if you haven't got the exact right ingredients. Well, I'm by nature quite a stressy person. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. You do not strike me as a stressy person. Really? That's that's because we're sitting on my really low couch (laughs) um, and we're like being sucked into it. No, I'm I'm by nature a stressy person and I've I've really worked on that over the last, you know, my whole life, really. And still a work in progress to really relax into things more. And one of the things that makes me feel good is, is cooking. However, it can also make me stressed out. Yeah. So I deliberately cook things that are simple and easy. And that's why when I was writing the book, I was like, I am speaking to myself. All the recipes are 30 minutes. 95% of them are one pan or one baking tray. Um, They're full of vegetables. They're colorful because we eat with our eyes. They're simple to make, simple to shop for, simple to eat. And, you know, you say full of tips, like, Every recipe's got a tip, whether it's time saver tip, user up tip, as I was saying, a big fan of leftovers and not wasting food or swapping. Like, okay, there's no courgettes around, swap it for squash. Yeah, I feel like it's really clever because the recipes are genuinely ones that people are going to want to eat again and again. Yeah. But, you know, they're lovely to look at, but you know that people are going to get a lot of use out of it. Well, I try and ban myself from my phone in the evening, but I'm also addicted because that's when people put up stories or Instagram posts of what they've cooked that yeah, night. That's so and I'm true. obsessed with it because they, you know, stories disappear after 24 hours and I see people tag me in things and I'm like, oh, you made the BLT salad tonight or, oh, you made my veg curry and the buckwheat naan. Oh, that's amazing. Or you made this, this, this and this. So that's just the best bit. It's the best it? feeling. It's yeah. the best bit. I wanted people to use the book on a Monday night when they're at their most knackered, most despondent, you know, Monday blues. I wanted, I didn't want it to be a Saturday dinner party book. Yeah. Obviously great if someone wants to do it, but I wanted it to be for real life. Yeah. Well, you've definitely succeeded. Oh, good, Congratulations. The final Desert Island dish. What is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island? Okay. So on the Desert Island, I'm obviously going to be having a lot of coconut and fish. I would make the most ginormous pan of bolognese Ooh. with chicken livers Ooh. chopped through yes um with Good loads addition. of red yeah with loads of red wine um and i'd slow cook that for ages um and i drink lots of red wine as i waited for it to simmer and then i'd eat it i mean i could eat it 
just with a spoon straight yeah. from. I also like it cold. Oh, me too. I you think I almost cold. prefer it cold. I love it. Tons of Parmesan on top. And are you having it with spaghetti? I, I can have it with spaghetti. Yeah, with I might have it with, I might bake some, some bread to dunk it in. I'd probably have a day of it. I'd probably, mm. as I say, like take it through different levels of day. Oh, I remember actually my boyfriend, when I think when I realized I loved him was when, because I told him, you know, a bolognese is a ragu is my favorite thing in the world. I, and I said, I love it the next day. And I woke up the next morning. This wasn't the morning after I met him or anything, but quite soon on into our relationship, I woke up in the morning, he brought me a breakfast in bed and it was like toast with bolognese on top and a fried egg and Parmesan on top. And he's like, a keeper. Okay, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that quite great? Yeah, he sealed he's the never deal. Done it again. <laughs> never done it since. One time only. Well, one time was all it took. I couldn't believe it because I, I could smell what I thought was a bolognese. I was like, oh, he, he, he listened to it. And then he came upstairs with a, with a crispy That's fried egg and Parmesan. Possibly the most romantic <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Melissa, you're allowed to take with you a luxury item. What are you going to take with you? Can it be food? It can be anything. Maybe just like really amazing olive oil. Yeah. I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah. I'd drink it. I'd drink it. I'd eat it. And it would just transform everything. Yeah. 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 And I also want to know, what is your most treasured cookbook? It's a cookbook that I don't even have. Okay. But it's one that I really enjoyed while I had it. Yeah. When I was about 18, my boyfriend at the time's friends were are vegetarian and they're from Bristol and I had never had vegetarian friends before. I mean, that sounds crazy, but I hadn't had vegetarian <laughs> friends, um, not people my age. And they, we went away together. I think it was to Devon and they bought one of Madda Jaffrey's Ooh. books. And then we had so many good meals that weekend. I can't even, like they were just incredible, incredible meal after meal after meal. And then they left early and left the book. The so dream. I, I, yeah. <laughs> they went back to Bristol I kept the book and then they kept saying, oh, you know, they, I was like, can I post it to you? And they said, no, 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 you just, till we next see each other. So for about six months, I had this book and I loved it and I have never bought it. But for six months, I feel like, you know, the recipes are sort of ingrained in me. Yeah. I just loved it. It was amazing. Is- and then I went to the Dubai Literary Festival this year and chatted to her. <gasps> she was there and Claudia Rodan was there and I was between them. Oh my goodness. On a bus, <gasps> on a bus. Yeah. Living the actual dream. Watching them talk, it was amazing. Oh my God. Melissa, thank you so much for letting it us hear your Desert it. Island dishes. Thank you very much. And that, my friends, was Melissa Hemsley. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast as it really does help others to find the podcast, which is always good. I've made a delicious recipe, she says modestly, inspired by Melissa, and you will find it along with lots of other recipes, cookbook recommendations, and other little goodies on the website, desertislanddishes.co. Come and say hi on Instagram at madebymargie, and have a lovely weekend, and I will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.